praise the Lord. It's good to be in his house, isn't it? It's good to be together. I can't believe this is our first service together. Tuesdays and, and uh, Sundays, just one way or another, right? Just didn't happen, and here we are. 2024, who's glad to be in this new season and a new year? There are seasons, right, Michael? It's a new season. <laughs> it's a new season. It's a new year. And we're just so thankful. I just want to pray one more time. I just feel like I need to do this. I just want to sanctify, Lord. I just want to take this year. It hasn't even happened yet, Lord. Just like we would christen a baby, Lord, we dedicate. I want to dedicate this year, Lord, right here at the beginning. This is your year, Lord. And we thank you as a church. We commit to do that. This is the year of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this uh, sermon today is, uh, I had no intention of doing a part two uh, from New Year's Eve, but I felt compelled to do that, and at times the Lord does that. Sometimes I know it, sometimes I'm in my notes, and I'm like, wow, this is going to be lots of parts. And other times I just preach a sermon, and that's it. I kind of put it to the side, and I get encouraged from that sermon, and then... uh, and the Lord then brings it back up, and he kind of did it in some interesting ways. I may touch on that today or not, I don't know, but uh, one thing is this, that the sermon that I preached on, on New Year's Eve was, it's not too late. Everybody say, it's not too late. Uh, and, and this is, it's not quite a, a, a part two as a, a continuation of it's not too late, but let's just call it a continuation of the theme that God is speaking to us. The theme was of Isaiah 55, 6 through 7. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call him while he's near, right? Turn to the Lord. I really felt compelled to encourage us as we entered into the new year. It was a time to call on the Lord like never before, a time to seek him like never before. And uh, I came, even came up with some things that it helps me. And so I created some rhymes because I guess people do that at New Year's Eve. I don't usually do that, but this year I just did it. I felt I wrote them and I felt like I needed to do that. It helps me remember. And uh, really just to sum it up is to seek God more in 24. And you can just say it very simply more in 24. Because I feel like God wants to do more in your life. But I think that it's going to be hinged upon us giving God more of our life. The more you give him, the more God will do. And I really believe that. I don't think that that's some sort of weird twist to Christianity. I believe that's the Bible anyway, but I do believe that's a fresh word for this season. And so uh, I wrote this, this very short rhyme. We could not afford to ignore anymore the calling of the Lord in 2024. Just ask and he'll open the door and show you things you didn't know before. And so the Lord's calling on us to call on him. You can actually see a trend in the word, right? From Genesis to Revelation, you see this trend of God actually does the first move. God calls us, right? You cannot come unless you've been drawn, right? That's our word. And sometimes people think that God's only drawing certain people. That's not what that means. It means he's put out the invitation to everyone, and it's up to us to listen to that invitation and respond. And what happens? Once I respond, then God shows up. But God holds back, doesn't he? Who notices that God holds back until you've responded, right? Who has seen God give you everything? I mean, he did give us everything in Christ, 
but who had it all revealed to you all at once, all in the beginning, before you even said yes to him. No, most of you didn't even know who Jesus was, right? You had an understanding in your mental mind, but in your spirit, you couldn't even fathom what it would mean to really know him, right? And that has come because of what? Because he just keeps giving more and more. Yes, I can say that. I can say that confidently, but only because I've been giving myself more and more and more, right? Who has found the more you seek God, the more amazing he is, first of all, right? The more you want to seek him, the more you realize you are a wretched sinner. And you look at yourself and you thought you were so righteous. Man, I've got to figure it out now. Me and Jesus, we're like, we're best buds and I love him and he's great. And he's amazing. And then it comes to like, oh my gosh, you know, that season's gone. You still love him. You know that you're friends, but it's a different type of friendship, isn't it? Suddenly now it's like, oh my God. I say that without, I say that in, in a, a holy way. Oh my God. That comes out of your mouth. Not oh my God. Comes out of your mouth like, oh my, like where they said, I'm a man of unclean lips. You see, in, in the word, when, when they really got to know God, they end up falling on their face before him and in his holiness and his righteousness. And so there's a very clear picture that as a person, we just actually write it in our Bible reading, that Enoch walked with God so closely that one day he just was no more on the earth and God took him. There is a very clear picture in our word that if you give God more, he will give himself more to you. And yet, I need to say this, and I cannot be ashamed or afraid to say it, God does not give you himself wholly until you do. Now, let's, I've said it this way, because it's grace, isn't it, Dan? Right? It's grace, so let me say it clearly, because I, I, I didn't coin this, this, uh, this metaphor, but I think it's amazing. It's like a college fund that a parent has put aside from the time you're born. And technically, you did nothing to earn it. Whether you're good or bad, it's just there. And so it's not that God is saying, if you're a good person, then I'll be good to you. It's all there, but what does it require of you? You're still going to have to apply yourself, put action, right? You're going to have to put that action into going to school, and, and guess what's going to happen? If your parent is a good parent, they're going to say, well, you know, you're getting Fs. And yeah, it's true. This is yours. And I'm not taking it back. I put this aside your whole life for you. But eventually the parent who's not foolish is going to say, if you don't start picking up those grades, I'm not going to waste what I, was so precious to me. Cost me a lot. If you don't start applying yourself, then this thing that is a, it's completely yours. It costs you nothing. And yet, it's not something I need to earn to get, but I need to, I need to apply myself fully to fully receive it, appreciate it, and then obviously something even greater than use it for my future. And so we can see that Jesus, even though he, he died on the cross while we were still sinners, there is a very clear picture in our entire Bible that is that I must receive him and not just receive him, but then I need to keep seeking him and keep receiving what he's offering. He's going to constantly offer you something more. He's going to constantly offer, I want to give you more of myself. I want to bring you into a new ministry that I have for your life. I want to do something supernatural in your life. But it's always going to cost you, not as a repayment, because you can't ever pay, but it's going to cost you only this world. Once you get a revelation 
that you really aren't paying anything because it's this world versus the eternal world? What could you possibly pay God? How could you possibly pay God back from this earth, even if it costs you every single breath you have, every single thing you own? Do you think that that compares to the eternal things, as our Bible calls them? So it really doesn't cost you, and yet, in an earthly, heavenly, crisscross thing, uh, it's going to cost you of this earth. Right? does not cost you eternally. It can't. Does that make sense? I don't mean to badger this point, but I really wanted to get this. Amen. We are, are we all together here? And so I feel like the Lord then suddenly dropped in my spirit why I needed to go back into this. It's a very, very uh, famous phrase right from the word, which is, you did not recognize the time of your visitation. What was so amazing is the very day that I was preaching, calling the Lord, calling him, he's there to be found. And I ended up going into Josiah, who, ended, who the reason I brought him up is he put tremendous action. He was the first king after hundreds of years that really, even Solomon, you know, the second king, right? Still, there was still things that he had erected, right, to foreign gods that had not been torn down, even with good kings like Hezekiah. And Josiah is the first king that puts complete action and destroys finally, once and for all, these things that had been put in place uh, by all his forefathers and stood the ground that the Lord really had called them to, to, to really claim, you don't, they weren't there to claim Israel as territory, they were there to claim it for the Lord. That's a big difference, isn't it? Sometimes we think we have ownership, that, you know, that our lives, this is my territory, and it's really not what you're there for. You're there to claim it for the Lord. We're meant to raise a banner. You realize that we are meant to carry a banner that is the Lord. It is not for you to show everyone, you know, look what God has given me. It's, it might seem like they're close, and it's always fine lines and everything in the kingdom of God. But on that, it is a fine line. It is not about that, and yet it could look like that. It is about giving glory to God. And so I went into Josiah. We're not going to do that today. But uh, my main core of the message was, about seeking the Lord, he wants to be found. Now, I didn't even realize it. I didn't read my Bible plan that morning because I was busy in uh, studies for coming to do the sermon. And then the next day, uh, I end up looking at our Bible plan, and it was Isaiah 65, if you were doing it together as the church, uh, on the exact day that I was saying, the Lord saying, he's giving an offer to us to call on him, and he wants to be found. And like I said, I wrote that whole little rhyme of seeking the Lord, we must, and on the very day, this is what it says, Isaiah 65, verse 1. Didn't even know that it was our Bible plan. It says, I was ready to respond, but no one asked for help. I was ready to be found, but no one was looking for me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that did not call on my name. All day long I open my arms to a rebellious people, but they follow their own evil paths and their own crooked schemes. In verse 9, but the Lord says, but I will preserve a remnant of the people of Israel and Judah to possess my land. Those I choose will inherit it, and my servants will live there. And verse 24, 
and I will answer them. Who's them? The servants, the remnant. He, the Lord's presented himself to the whole world. He's presented himself to your daddy's daddy's daddy, as it's been said, and your mommy's mommy's mommy, right? It, this is a long time thing, and you are the few. You are the remnant that said yes to the Lord. Not everyone does, right? You have brothers and sisters that haven't. You have cousins that haven't. Some have spouses that haven't, but we are the remnant. We are those that the Lord has called, and we said yes and now the Bible says, verse 24, and I will answer them. And before they even call to me, while they're still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. I was blown away. So I ended up not having great service. Uh, uh, I didn't have internet. So I really couldn't get into my Bible plan, but I wanted to read my Bible. And so my Bible, every time I opened it, was left to where I left off, and it ended up being Isaiah 65. So I ended up reading this chapter, because I was like, it's, it's, all, it's your word. If I can't read, I could turn to other chapters, but I just felt every time I opened it, well, this is what I'm going to read today. It ended up being in this chapter for like 10 days straight, and uh, as I sat down, I said, okay, Lord, it's clear that you are bringing this today. I heard the Lord's in my spirit say, you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And so I said, wow, Lord, okay, I know this scripture, and I went to go open it it's in Luke 19, but I just wanted to remind myself of the context. And in Luke 19, verse 36, Jesus is, he, this is his final week. It's about seven days or so, you know, at least we, we historically, we see this as about the last week that Jesus had on the earth. No one knows that uh, yet. You know, they're just uh, watching his, his ministry progress, and the disciples don't quite know what's happening. Even Satan, our Bible says, doesn't know what's happening yet. But uh, here he comes riding on a young colt or a donkey, and this is, our, this is Palm Sunday that we celebrate. And it says in verse 36 that the crowd spread out their garments, and, and they placed them on the road as he walked, and they began to sing and shout, uh, and praise him, and it says, verse 38, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in, he in highest heaven. But it says in verse 39, but some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers, right? You may know it as the rocks would cry out. And so just, just one week later, this, uh, this Jesus that's being paraded as king is going to be crucified, but Jesus can see this, this tremendous war that there always has been. There has been a war since Adam and Eve in the garden until this thing wraps up like a scroll. The Bible says he's just going to roll time up like a scroll, and that's, I see that as... I see that as space as well. I don't just see time. I don't know how it all works. I don't know how it's going to make sense, but we don't really, you are spirit. You're not really physical, but he's just going to roll this whole thing up, the heavens, the earth, time, and he's going to roll it up like a scroll. And But until then, there is a war. And so Jesus begins to, he begins to weep in verse 41 because he's riding towards Jerusalem and he just begins to weep. Because 
Jesus came. Our Bible says that there was nothing that God spared. Do you know that your Bible says that? That God didn't spare anything, even his own son. And yet here he is. Some see him. Some eyes are opened. And some eyes are so blinded they're about to crucify him. They're cursing him while others are praising him. And this is the way it has always been. And this is the way it will always be. Unfortunately, it's so, it should break our hearts. We should never look at the world and point our finger and say, at least I'm not going to hell like you. We should never look at the world and think, well, I'm going to heaven. You're going to hell. That's too bad for you. you know, and when they're rude to you, think, well, you know what? You're being rude to me. And you don't even realize that you're just heading to hell. We should never, we should break. Our hearts should be mourning and broken like Jesus was. Because he could see that these Pharisees, and ultimately then not just the Pharisees, but the whole crowd would join them and say, crucify him, crucify him. And he, so he's weeping, and he says, before long, he says, well, verse 42, let me just finish there. He begins to weep, and he says, how long? He says, how I wish today that all, that you of all people would understand the way to peace, but now it's too late. This is very significant because I preached a sermon on New Year's Eve and I said, it's not too late. I titled it that. And I sat down to prepare the sermon for today and the Lord said, you've missed the time of your visitation. I heard it so clearly from the Lord, and I didn't know that this, this was in there. And he says, now it's too late. So I preach a sermon on New Year's Eve, it's not too late. And now the Lord's speaking, it's too late. Now, I want you to raise your hand with me. Does everybody just, just participate with me? Say, it's still not too late. Because what Jesus is talking about is a metaphor here. He's saying, if you don't respond, at the, when this happens... When this happens, is what he's saying. When this begins, it's too late. It's not too late today because I'm still on the earth. He's riding there as a king. And, and to us, he's king on the throne, right? Satan has not won the battle in your life or in your family's life or those that you're believing for. He has not won. It's not too late. But everybody say it out loud with me. There comes a day when it's too late. And so the Lord is calling us today while it's not too late. And this is why the Lord's weeping, because he could see, actually, this, this was fulfilled. It's actually one of the most amazing things. It's one of the things that the world cannot argue against, because it is a direct prophecy written about 40 years in advance on, at 70 AD, this exact thing that the Lord describes. In fact, it, he also says, I hope it's not in winter, right, when he's talking about this in the other gospel. And then the 70 AD uh, siege happens exactly in winter. The point is that the Lord, 40 years in advance, could see the writing. He could see where it was going, and he says, before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls, and they'll encircle you from every side, and they will crush you to the ground, and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place, because you did not recognize it when God visited you. And see, I always know it's the Lord when he speaks to me in New King James, the Bible that I grew up with, and not the Bible I preach from. And I always, I always recognize it's just the way that the Lord gets my attention. Sometimes he'll speak to me in King James or Amplified, or a translation I don't traditionally read out of to catch my attention because more traditional texts say that he said to them, because you didn't recognize your time of visitation. 
And so the word of the Lord for 2024 is that the Lord is presenting himself now and saying, I'm here, I'm available, I'm gonna, I will not hold back anything from you. The more you give me, the more I will give myself to you. You know, the Bible calls Jesus, right? He is the bridegroom and the church, the bride. And we know that marriage is not a one-way thing, is it? It's a two-way thing, isn't it? It's the, the bride and the, and the groom. And they must give themselves to each other, right? When one gives everything, it doesn't work so great, does it? Now, if you've been given everything, I pray that you just keep giving everything. That's what the Lord's called you to do. But there is a, there is a design that God has made, and the Bible says it. He said, husbands, don't deprive yourself of your wives, and wives, don't deprive yourself of your husband, because it is an equal system. The, the system that God even has designed of himself is the same. He says, it's a mystery, Paul says, but I don't know how to describe marriage, and I don't know how to describe what happens with the Lord. He said, really, it's all a mystery, but if you need to try to figure out what it's like to know the Lord, it's like a marriage. And it's that as one gives himself to the other, the other gives themselves, and they grow stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's what the Lord is offering in 2024. He's always been offering it, but there is something about, I don't, I don't understand it all, and uh, I don't call myself a prophet, and I don't, I'm not saying this is a prophecy, but I do know in the Bible that there are seasons, there are times when certain doors are opened. There are opportunities that Jesus is pointing it out. He was saying there was an opportunity, there is a scriptural evidence that there was an opportunity right here that was about to be missed. And I want you to hear it, that there's an opportunity that God is offering. And if we do not recognize this time of our visitation, the door will be closed and it will be too late. Amen. Let's just say, thank you, Lord, that it's not too late for us to know you in an even greater way than I did in 2023. Amen. There's so many scriptures warning of judgment coming. But Jesus came and he prophesied, gave them hope. By turning to God in repentance and through his blood, they were given the opportunity for eternal life, that even though their physical life may have been lost, they had eternal life. And we need to realize that. That is a, a revelation that we need to actually be constantly reminded, us, reminded of, that God doesn't actually guarantee you physical life. And I think this is, a, this is a misconception. Sometimes people think they don't understand God. Sometimes we miss, we think that God's abandoning us or that, that, uh, that there's something uh, that we've kind of missed. Jimmy has said it, you know, at least for the last 20 years, we're meant to die. We're meant to get old. It doesn't mean we want to do that quickly, right? We don't want to do that ahead of its time. But from the moment, from the moment, from the moment <laughs> you're born, you are dying. Now, I'm not, I'm not putting to make us heavy and weighty. I mean, we have life in Christ. This is, I'm trying to bring us encouragement. Even though your physical body is dying, we have eternal life. And I think it's something we should be reminded of. We should be reminded of this every day. But it certainly, from, from occasional, from Sunday to Sundays, occasionally I should remind us that this life is going to fade away. So don't be discouraged by its weightiness. Don't be discouraged by its decay. Don't be discouraged by its death, because Jesus said where moth and rust cannot destroy, right? Where thieves cannot break in and steal. That's where your, right? That's where your inheritance is secure. It's in, in heaven, not here on the earth. And so we must, 
uh, be reminded of that today. And so with that said, I'd like to get into something for at least the next 15 minutes or so. I don't know if I'm going to get into all of it today or some of it next week, but I'd like us to turn uh, to the book of Exodus, and I want you to look with me at the at chapter 11, and we're going to begin with verse 1. Now, just a little pre-story here. We all know the story of Moses, but let's just review what's happened. Israel has been in slavery. It wasn't always in slavery, right? God actually used Joseph to bring the people purposefully into Egypt. It was actually not his brothers that did it, right? Right. The brothers tricked Joseph, not tricked him, but... Uh, uh, intended to kill him, and then sold him into slavery. And then Joseph actually prophesied from the Lord, you didn't do this, God did this. Because what was going to happen was a famine was coming, and so God actually preserved the life of Joseph's entire family, his father Jacob, all of his brothers. He takes no revenge on them, and that was God's design so that this entire family actually would turn into a multi-million person uh, tribe or tribes plural, right? The twelve tribes of Israel, and what happens now is now they've they are such a giant group of people in Egypt that Egypt says that this group of people they don't even realize their power. If they wanted to fight against us, there's so many they would over overcome us. They'd overwhelm us. So they devise a plan. Let's put them into slavery because and into bondage, so that they are always. Uh, they're never able to rise up and really take that authority that they have. So God uh, raises up Moses, and it's been 430 years. Finally, God is going to fulfill the promise that he had given to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, where Jacob had come from into Egypt was the promised land, but he never really had possession, and God's going to bring them into that place to have possession but in order to do that, God does things differently than we would do, doesn't he? God's a strange God, but sometimes when I, when I say that, though, I have to then say he's only strange because we're strange. God is normal. We're strange. But he seems strange because we think we're normal. But we're not. He's God. So that must mean that if God seems strange, <laughs> right, then how could God be strange, right? But regardless of the funny way of seeing it, the Bible says God's ways are not our ways, right? God doesn't do things the way we do it. So if we were God, we're going to say, I'm going to deliver my people. It's very easy. I'm just going to kill every Egyptian because that's no match for me. And I'm just going to bring my people to the promised land instantly. In fact, why even make them walk? I'll just have them float there because I'm God. But God doesn't do that. God actually makes Pharaoh have to say, you're released. And I'm not going to get into all the reasons why, but there is something to do with authority. There are authorities. Even Satan was given an authority. We don't quite understand it all, but even Satan, who was an angel before God, he fell, but he didn't lose at least a realm of his authority for a season. That season's coming to an end, praise God. That even the, our Bible says that hell and death and the, even Satan and the fallen angels are all getting thrown into the lake of fire forever. But until that day comes, there are pharaohs that have authority. And so God needs Pharaoh to say, you can go by his own mouth. 
And so the way that God does is that he applies some pressure to the world. Everybody say, to the world. And I said that on purpose, not to Egypt, because I want us just not to hear about Moses and hear about the Israelites, but it's very clear when you read your Bible that Egypt is a picture, God uses it as a metaphor throughout the Bible, as a picture of the world system, that's the world you live in, and the rulers of this world. And ultimately, then that also merges into Babylon and becomes another image that we can see into Revelation. But Egypt is a very clear picture of the world system. So the world wants its grip on you. The world wants to subdue you. The world wants to hold you, keep you in bondage, and keep you in slavery. It's not a coincidence that not only were the people of Israel delivered uh, from Egypt into the Promised Land, but even Jesus, in order to be a true human being that went through everything, the, he, even he had to go to Egypt to be delivered. He came out of the world. See, in order to come to Christ, you have to come out. We're going to talk about going in today for the last final minutes, but you got to come out of Egypt to go in. And so Jesus, even he, to, to really be the, the fullness of, of our humanity, the, the faultiness of it, and then to the fulfillment of who he is as Christ, needed to come out of this world and go into Jerusalem to, to, uh, to claim the ground as he did with the cross. When that cross stood there, he claimed that ground for the Lord. Amen. And so uh, it says here, Beginning of verse 1, and I'll kind of go quickly here, but I will strike Pharaoh. The Lord says to Moses, I'm going to strike Pharaoh in the land of Egypt with one more blow. So who's ever seen the cartoon, right? You ever seen, or the Ten Commandments movie from back in the day, right? Was it, uh, is it Heston? Yeah, Charlton Heston, right? Yeah. If you ever seen that one, or if you've seen the, the cartoon, Prince of Egypt, this is there was all these plagues, and finally there comes this final plague, which is that I'm going to kill the firstborn. He says in verse 4, At midnight tonight I'm going to pass through the heart of Egypt, and all the firstborn sons will die. He even says even a pharaoh and, and even the slaves, even the lowliest, uh, even, even animals. The firstborn, even of the animals, are going to die. There's going to be a loud wail, verse 6. But verse 7, But among the Israelites it will be so peaceful that not even a dog will bark. Isn't this amazing? Now, um, I knew that the Lord was calling on us to call on Him into 24. But what I didn't even see, like He on New Year's Eve, there it was, in, in chapter 65 of Isaiah, was this picture of those who would be going through some things because they rejected God. Jesus there uh, is warning them, don't reject me because I can see the writing on the wall for your life if you do. And here is another picture that there, if you stay outside, you want to stay with the world, and you're going to get the world's punishment. We are not of the world, amen. And whoever's listening there on the podcast, it's time to come out of the world and come into his kingdom. And so the Bible says that among you, you won't even hear a dog bark. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. You know what the distinction is between the world and the believer. Again, I said it before. I'm going to say it again. Don't point your finger at the world and laugh. Don't even have, don't even have a hint of, of uh, some sort of a, a, a security or a pride or just even, even just a comfort that you have peace 
We should look at the world and mourn for them and be broken for them. We, should be, we know that we're secure in Christ, but we should never be like, well, at least I'm secure. I don't need to worry about anything else or anybody else. It's not what we're, otherwise the Lord will just bring us there. We're here because we're meant to stand in the gap for them. So I need to say that again. But the Lord will make a distinction. With that said, there comes a time where the Lord begins to make a distinction between those that want to choose the world and those who choose the Lord. That time does come, period. As much as we must mourn and break for them and call, keep calling them in until it's too late, keep calling them in. But there is a moment where God begins to bring a distinction. And I do believe that some of those things, you're going to see some of that even in this year. But the Bible says, uh, he says, that all the officials of Egypt, verse 8, will run and will fall to the ground and say, leave. And they're going to say, hurry, uh, with burning anger. Uh, and then it says, verse 9, Now the Lord had told Moses earlier, Pharaoh will not listen to you, but then I will do even more mighty miracles in the land of Egypt. And that's because of Pharaoh's pride. It's going to take this final plague, this final test of even Pharaoh to lose his son, that he's going to finally let these people go. So Moses, verse 10, and Aaron performed miracles in Pharaoh's presence, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he wouldn't let the Israelites leave the country. But we move into chapter 12. The Lord devises a plan. Everybody say, God has a plan for us. This death angel, the Bible calls it a death angel. It's very clear that, that uh, you know, there's no, there's no metaphor here. An angel of death came, and he killed every firstborn son. And the firstborn is an, actually a symbol. I'm a firstborn, but in, the, in Old Testament times, the firstborn was the one who had the inheritance, right? Had the promise. They had the promise. So what God was doing symbolically was take, cutting off their inheritance and their rights. You know, we see even Jacob and Esau, that's what their battle was about, right? It was the rights you know, it wasn't about money, it's not about the things, but it was about the name, it's about the rights to being, you know, there was, this, was a, this was a big deal. And so God was actually going to cut the legs out from the enemy of his power, of his rights. And so um, it says that God said to them, what I want you to do, I'm just going to kind of read it a little bit here, and I'm just going to tell you, God said, I want you to get a lamb, a pure and spotless lamb, right? We know this. Who is the lamb? It's Jesus Christ. And he says, I want you to take that lamb, and I want you to kill it. There is a death involved. There is blood involved. And he took the blood, and it says, it says, verse 7, they are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. And it says, that night... They must roast the meat over a fire and eat it. And then it says, verse 12, And on that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal, and I will execute judgment. Verse 13, But the blood on your doorpost, everybody say, the blood on my doorpost will serve as a sign marking my house where I live. It says, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death 
will not touch you when I strike the world, when I strike the land of Egypt. So Moses calls all the elders together, and they listen. They go and they get their lambs. They drain their blood, and it says, verse 22, they dipped right their branch in, and, and they spread the blood on the doorposts and the door frames. And it says, verse 23, for the Lord will pass through the land and strike down the Egyptians, but when he sees the blood, I'm just reading it again, sees the, top, uh, sees, it on, sees the blood on the doorframe, he will not permit his death angel to enter your house and strike you down. I bet you this is not a very common sermon on Sunday mornings. <laughs> we don't talk a lot about death angels. We talk about the goodness of God the greatness of God, the grace of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. But I don't think people realize what the blood of Jesus means sometimes. We think, just pray this prayer and you're saved. With no, no understanding that what this blood was. It was a death. It was a death of an animal or the death of you. Literally slaughtering this animal in your place. And we don't think that God sends death angels, but he does. People try to say God doesn't judge, but he judges. He does, and he will again. In fact, Peter said, the world intentionally forgets that God flooded the earth. But what they're forgetting, he says, is they flooded the earth before, and he said, I promise I won't do it again. There's the rainbow, right? There's our promise. But he said, but the future earth, which is our earth, will be burned with fire. This is New Testament. That's not Old Testament. I know we know this as a church, but sometimes we just need to hear these things and just be reminded that it was a very precious price, the blood that separates us from the judgments that are inevitable on this world. And so we are in the blood. Everybody say, we're in the blood. Right? We come inside. I, I'm, I'm definitely going to preach this next week because I have so many points of what happened when they crossed that threshold. There is a crossing over. When they came inside this house, something supernatural happened under that blood. Um, let me just sum it up with this. I'm going to just sum it up with this. There's a clear picture of the blood of Jesus, the symbol of God, the symbol of his grace and of his mercy, and, and, I'll, and I'll get into all of this next week, but it's a, there is a clear picture of what happened when they came inside. They came out of the world and came inside, and this was there was a directive. Don't just come in, but you have to stay in. Everybody say, I have to stay in. We're going to look at that as well. You can see that picture also with Rahab. And, um, and there is a, a readiness. There is um, a communion. There's so much that happened in this very supernatural moment. But I want to say to us, just to, just to close this out, for 2024, the Lord is calling for more, more of us. If we will come into the house, if we will separate ourselves, I need you to hear this, though. It's, I said this, I know I said this in 2018 and 2019, and certainly in, this, in the winter of 2020, I and mean, we have podcasts to go back and prove it. We didn't know it was coming on the earth. But I knew that I kept saying, I don't, the Lord's calling before it's too late. And I don't think that we've seen anything yet. I think there are really good times ahead of us as well. Because I see the promise that the Israelites, there was a distinction, right? For those that know the Lord, 
as hard as it will be and as dark as it will be. I mean, there are things that when we look at Daniel, when we look at Revelation, when we look at Jesus's words in Matthew 24 and 25, we have not even seen a glimpse, a tiny taste of what can and will happen on this earth. And yet as his people, as his people, if we are his servants, we are the remnant. If we will get inside that place, we can call it the ark as well. If you will come inside that place that he has prepared for you, Psalm 91, that secret place under his wings, under his blood. If we will come into that place and all that are willing, even at the last moment, all that hear that call and will come inside will be saved. And I want to just look at that with Rahab is very special. I'm going to bring from this to Rahab because she was not a good person. She was, right? She was a harlot, and her family was certainly not saved. And I want to show us how it's, there's grace, and there's, but there's action. It's not about being good, but it's about being obedient. Amen? And it's about coming in. And we're going to really see, I think just my eyes, are, my eyes are opening once and for all, this war that the world has kind of had, and then it got into the church about sloppy grace, but then it's either no grace or all grace, and yet I don't see us needing to be good, I see us needing to be obedient, which makes us good, right? We need to come inside and then he'll direct us, amen. So I want to look at those things next week, and I'm not just spending this time giving you preview for next week, I needed to say those words. But we're just going to close it with this prayer. Lord, I thank you and praise you for this year. And I thank you, Lord, that there is a place in you that if we will come into that place, I thank you. Your word says, if you, I'm standing at your door and I'm knocking, and if you will open the door, I will come in and we will have communion together. So I thank you, Lord, that we're opening that door to you in greater ways. Lord, there's closets that we have hidden away that we didn't even let you, the Savior of the world, come into. And this year, Lord, we're going to open every dark place, every hidden thing, every secret thing. I thank you, Lord. Come inside and, Lord, do a mighty work in us. Holy Spirit, wash us clean and purify us and clean us and make us holy and righteous. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Praise God.